Boom, everyone who's showing up now, which may not be anyone because we threw a monkey, uh, a wrench in the machine, but uh, to anyone who jumps in, we're late because, of course, hashtag the World Cup. Um, quick review. What do you got? Did you actually go live for Boys and Bolos? No, actually, so Jeff and I with Boys and Bolos, we have not created a podcast since the beginning of the World Cup. Um, oh. A lot of content creators haven't created any content due to, oh. like, basically boycotting the fact that FIFA decided to have the World Cup in Qatar and that thousands of migrant workers have died to build these stadiums. and that 6,500. Yeah, and that people are still dying now. Um, a famed journalist who's probably like in his mid-40s, Grant Wall, recently died, and he was always speaking out against the uh, really aggressive and abusive laws they have there for the LGTB, for the LGBT, lgbtqi plus community um and so that looks like it's drenched in conspiracy and then more recently i think a palestinian journalist also died another younger guy so anyways we haven't created any content i've been watching avidly um i created that medium article i, I think did were you able to read I that read grant it. yeah 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 and so for a lot of content creators they're definitely boycotting the world cup in that sense that's like what they're doing to by not adding more like you know momentum uh, in the content creation universe. So we've been boycotting uh, and it's allowed us to probably just watch more and be fans and not think about, oh, how are we going to talk about this every night? And uh, the other thing is in the group stage, if you do a proper a content creation strategy for the World Cup, during the group stage, you're basically creating an episode like every day for two weeks, oh. which is great because you pump out content, yeah. but it's also super draining and it, it almost makes it like not as exciting. Uh, so, okay. um, I have been watching every match and thank you boys for being open to moving this. Cause I, I've been watching every Argentina game, um, get my work done before then and watching every Argentina game with, uh, you know, childhood friends essentially. So, yeah, we, uh, on Sunday or whatever day it was, <clears throat> we sat on the couch and watched a sports game and I swore this off. I swore this off growing up when I'd see my folks watching football games and I can't stand tackle ball. I can't stand it. And um, and so I, I suddenly looked down at myself and I was like, you know what? I could do this once every four years just to be on the know about soccer. Now, let me ask you this real quick. Like you bring up Grant Wall. Your article brings up Grant Wall. The dude was posting about how sick he was. Yeah, so he, yeah. I, I actually, I don't think I mentioned Grant Wall in the article, but he has been mentioned. Like if you search Grant Wall on the internet, there's a billion articles about him now. He yeah. was posting in his Substack and on his podcast talking about how sick he was. Yeah. But his diagnosis is bronchitis. And yeah. it's rare that a 44, mid 40 year old male who's healthy dies from bronchitis. Interesting. Right? So it just looks bad. They're getting his body brought back to the United States so they can do a proper autopsy. Um, okay. But it just looks super suspicious. Even if there's no foul play and he did die of bronchitis, sure. it's the context in which it happens is a cauldron. Yeah, that's some serious. So. It's, Who is yeah, he? I'm not aware of this. What is this? Who, so Grant Wall is a he wrote for the New York Times for a long time. Oh, the and, reporter, uh, the reporter who died. Yeah, yeah. The reporter who died. Yeah, and Cutter. We're just talking about the uh, Grant had asked if I if Boys and Bulls has been creating content on the World Cup, and I said that no. Jeff and I are. This is like our way to to boycott is to step away from the content creation for the World Cup. Um, so, and we did it because of all the migrant workers who were killed, uh, who came essentially from that's the Bangladesh one. and Nepal. Yeah. And, um, what, what is that there's other... called the Kafala system or something like this? 
where it's kind of like an indentured servitude. Um, and I watched some of those interviews, and uh, believe it or not, John Oliver uh, actually has a really good breakdown of what went on and has really good clips. And when I, we saw that, I was, I was on board with like, wait a minute, what the crap? So for fun, or not fun, fun fact, not so fun fact, it was only like 5,000 only, 5,000 people that died in the World Trade Center. 6,500 have died building these stadiums. It's yeah, nuts. I, it is nuts. It's nuts. It's disgusting. And I think there are larger conversations that are happening, and they've been happening yeah. for a long time, about yeah. what these major tournaments do to local economies and what they do to local cities. Because yeah. the world, excuse me, the Olympics for a long time has been something that's ephemerally good, you know, short-term good, long-term, why did we do this? Uh, Boston, years ago, I think it was for the 2018 Olympics, or I forget, they, they basically, they turned down the Olympics. And everyone was like, how could you do that? Maybe it was for the 2020 Olympics, which in hindsight, that worked out. But they were like, how could you do that? But Boston was like, no, we don't want that. We don't have the space and we're not going to just uproot highways and just build these big stadiums and build these big complexes so you can have 30 days of games. And then we're left with these things that are destroy the flow of our city forever. Monstrosities, um, yeah. Yeah. And so what happened in South Africa, they had to build a bunch of stadiums. Um, what's happening in Qatar, basically, once this is over, there's billions and billions and billions of dollars of infrastructure that has been brought in. And Qatar as a nation is only 3 million people or 3 yeah. million people live there. Yeah. But 2.7 million of them or 90% don't have, they're not citizens. So yeah. actual Qataris are only 300,000. Um, there we go. Oh, Owen Healy, you were spot on. Great to see you. He says, major tournaments are like quantitative easing, short-term, good, long-term. <laughs> Question mark? Yeah, exactly. Long term, <laughs> probably not good. And and he's spot on. And I I just yeah. think that you know in 2026 the World Cup will be in the United States. So this is a, a flag for everyone that if you know me, you're welcome. I will be going to as many games as I physically can get to. Um, that month will be dedicated strictly to World Cup. So uh, I'm yeah, super excited. I hope to see countries. games in Canada and in Mexico. So yeah, yeah, what, it is across multiple multiple countries. Are you going to be traveling to check out all those games? Oh, 100%. I'm going to be going to as many as I can physically get to. Um, so the next World Cup is just North America? Yeah, North America won the bid. So it's uh, Mexico, Canada, and the United States. Now, the bulk of that the games would be will fun. Be, yeah, the bulk of the games will be in the United States, but it's going to be just like a great time because we haven't had the World Cup since 94. And yeah. soccer here or football has really come a long way. Yeah, and we're gonna has. have a really good team. Our team's already pretty good, in my opinion. Um, but I'm gonna be putting money. I've already said it that I think we're gonna go to the semis of that World Cup, and then we're gonna shock people. So nuts. Well, yeah. this is technically a crypto show, but I we had to touch on this. It's a once every four year, and we we move the show for it. So I'm fine that we grabbed on it. Uh, I well, last question, and then we'll move on to Jarrett. How are those bets going? My bets are good. So. <laughs> Uh, you know, if you follow me on LinkedIn or anywhere, all I do is talk about financial savviness and budgeting and how to properly invest and thinking long-term and, you know, the first step to retirement <laughs> is thinking about it. Um, and, uh, I think gambling is a bad thing. I don't think it, I think it's a net negative for society. It's an extremely really addictive thing. Yeah, yeah. Um, I think it ruins a lot of people's lives. I think, uh, but with that said, I put money pre-tournament that Argentina would win. And now they're in the final. 
So wow. um, I have some other parlays too, that if they hit in the final, it's going to be a good time. And I'm telling everyone right. I'm taking that cash from the casino, going right to a Bitcoin ATM and that's it done. So yeah, big love from Pakistan. Nice. Yeah. Saeed. Yes. Saeed, Saeed, what's up, man? So I think Saeed and I have engaged a little bit on Facebook. I probably need to check my messages a little bit more, Saeed. So if I haven't gotten back to you, but uh, yeah. great to see you. Yeah. Big love from Pakistan. I feel yeah. like the Pakistanis are into We're messy. All the Pakistanis I know are into messy. So I just assume. <laughs> oh, okay. Yes. Yeah, so see, yeah, tell us, uh, tell us who you're rooting for in the uh, semis and finals for uh, the World Cup. Let's talk about real quick a uh, question, and you said affirmative to this, but I, but I think you said affirmative to something else. Um, talking about crypto a little bit and why everyone's pumping, and we heard rumor that he's saying, "Hey, inflation's easing off. That's great." But did new interest rates come out today? So we yeah, it wasn't. I, I don't believe it's new interest rates. I think it was the CPI yeah. came out to say that inflation was lower. I don't think Powell's come out yet and talked about the inflation, but maybe I'm wrong. If anyone's in the chat. Uh, anyone who's watching wants to correct me on that. I believe that it was that CPI is down to 7.1%, which is mm -hmm. a huge thing dropping from almost 8.3 to 8.1. Yeah. So that's huge. Yeah. And that's why crypto is pumping. Um, and so, yeah. yeah. Jay, what that's have you been seeing? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, uh, I, I do think it has something to do with, with CPI. It's interesting. Hey, Allison, how's it going? Uh, hey, Allison. Good afternoon, Allison. It's interesting that crypto would pump off of CPI because it says to me that the crypto market is becoming more mature because all so. along, yeah. like the CPI is something that I pay attention to from, from a TradFi perspective, CPI mm -hmm. and VIX, and there's a bunch of other stuff that I pay attention to, yeah. but I've known that that stuff had not affected crypto, like not even a little mm -hmm. bit. No one in crypto had ever been concerned with with the consumer price index. So it says to me that we're getting much more mature now. Well, and by mature, let's unpack that because I 100% I agree. I think that the way, if you sit in a room and listen to how people debate pro or con crypto now, it's becoming very abstracted and obtuse. That along with the coupling of DeFi and TradFi tell me that uh, kind of two aspects about this. One is that the technology is being infused into its corners of the traditional technology markets, except for blue chip currencies, the, the small handful of cryptocurrencies we know, and blue chip software in crypto space or blockchain software, specifically Ethereum, and then a handful, uh, um, a kind of a baker's dozen of others. But by and large, the crypto market, I'm calling it, the technology is being absorbed and infused into other areas. And so this conversation is going to be more coupling because institutions drive all of that. Um, but, the, but the arguments from people on the ground are going to get weird and they're going to sound like they don't know what they're talking about because crypto is moving in its position in their mind of where it belongs. That's, yeah. that's, that's my take on it. You have a thought there, Jay? Yeah, I, I, I agree with that. Jack, I'm sorry, I don't ever cut you off there. But uh, oh, yeah. I, I think crypto, people are changing their minds about what, what crypto means to them. Like, uh, you know, there was that whole thing about crypto being digital gold. Mm -hmm. I started hearing a lot more people refer to it as digital oil now, in, in particular Bitcoin. Oh, I'm sorry, Ethereum. So Ethereum being digital oil, Bitcoin being digital gold, and just shows you 
how this stuff is sort of being repositioned in our minds, like you were saying. Yeah, that's interesting. I haven't heard the digital oil thing. Uh, Jared, did you have a response or thought with your conversation with Sia? Yeah, yeah. Uh, Sayed, I, I actually just messaged you. I just don't check Facebook Messenger a lot, so you're going to have to, uh, excuse me. But if you follow me on LinkedIn, that's really where I probably am engaging with most people. So find me on LinkedIn. Um, but Syed has reached out here, and I'm just going to change the subject a little bit, but I will come back yeah. to this digital oil, digital gold conversation. Yeah. Uh, he's reached out here because a lot of the work that I do on Facebook or the posts I, on Facebook are all about, you know, how to leverage the internet to kind of make money. Um, yeah. It's something I've been doing in one way or another since 2015. And yeah. I think it's really awesome. Uh, when you can create value from your computer and build a, you know, build something or find a community similar to honestly how I found you guys. And I know we're building different things in the background and just tinkering with how we can add value to communities and, and do that. So that's kind of why he's asking. And I think, Syed yeah. really speaks to a lot of people. I have no idea how old Syed is, but the story in my head is he's somewhere between, yeah, I don't know, under 34, under 32. He's uh, a younger, uh, younger millennial, older Gen Z. And he's just trying to figure out, hey, how can I do this? How can I make money on the internet? I see other people doing it. Something I'd like to do, um, you know, it will help me with uh, time freedom and location freedom. So that's probably where these questions are coming from. But Syed, I've messaged you on Messenger. So hopefully we can continue the conversation there. The uh, 24 and single, exactly. Um, so the conversation around digital oil and digital gold is really interesting. And I do believe they're pretty salient. Which, if Ethereum does what it's supposed to do and kind of backs the new internet, which is Web3, then Ethereum is totally going to be the oil, the lubricant in which everything is done on. And Bitcoin will kind of be the reserve, the, the thing that's secure, that kind of sits behind, that's controlled by no one. Um, it really is a commodity. It's not a security when you think about the fact that no one secures it. Uh, it's very, in that sense, it's kind of similar to oil, um, where like, you know, it, no one made it like it's natural. Um, Bitcoin's yeah. kind of like a natural thing. And Michael Saylor was talking about this a lot because we're going to really dive in in 2024 <laughs> as we set up for the 2025 bull run. Um, uh, we're really going to have to dive in around the world, individual countries to figure out what does this all mean, right? Like. Yeah. What is it a security? Is it a commodity? Which is securities? Which is commodities? And really start to get down to that. So, um, yeah, that's something that, that that I find very interesting. And actually, Jay, did you see? And I'm going to post it now um, in the LinkedIn chat if I can figure out how to use LinkedIn. Um, I'm dropping in the chat for everyone. Hopefully, everyone can see. It's a link to my Twitter, yeah. and it talks about the reason why I think um, we may see. Bitcoin or crypto continuing to go down. Um, and, and, and I'm just going to go through and read off. So it says the spring of 23 will be a year out from the halving. So it's the darkest time for Bitcoin uh, and the crypto winner. This is reasons why I think crypto is going to go down over the next six to seven months, uh, where we're going to see Bitcoin somewhere between eight to 12,000. And I'm saying uh, Ethereum somewhere between 650 to 850. And this is all going to happen in Q1 and Q2 of 2023. Um, Ethereum always lives somewhere between eight to 12% of Bitcoin. So as Bitcoin goes down, Ethereum will go down. Um, quantitative, e e quantitative easing, uh, 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 something that Owen alluded to, won't have started yet. I just, they're not going to do that yet. They're really going to destroy the economy to, to cut down inflation before anything. Um, so the high interest rates will still continue. When I say high interest rates, it's only relative to what they've been really before 2021 when they were down at 3%, at least in the United States. Um, the global energy prices during 
the Northern Hemisphere this winter are going to be a squeeze on everyone um, due to the Russia-Ukraine conflict. I think Russia is really going to put Europe, especially Germany, to the sword and say, let's see what happens. Um, and I'm saying there's still strained uh, global supply chains. And the 27th bull run saw Bitcoin go from 20 to 3,000. And that was an 85% uh, drop. And so if we see that same drop then from the 69,000 top that we saw in 2021. We still have to go down to 10.4. And so what I've done in my estimation always was say it's somewhere at 8 to 12 to split that difference. Um, yeah. I don't think, and I'll stop. I'll stop. Uh, I don't know if someone's playing music, but it does sound like someone's playing music. Um, it does sound like we haven't seen the bottom of FTX. That's probably, that's my assumption. It's a working assumption. Um, and I only say that because it took about three to four months for us to see the bottom and everything shake out from Terra Luna. FTX just happened not even a couple of weeks ago. Um, then I say because of that, we, I don't think it's the last centralized exchange to be exposed. Gemini could no. still fall. Yeah. Uh, they, I've heard some things that they have money with Genesis. Anyway, so I put that up on Twitter. Please respond to there. Follow me on Twitter. Let's yeah. have this conversation more. Allison said it was a good tweet, and I've heard these timelines in a few different times. Um, ETH is definitely going down to three digits. So Interesting. Interesting. That That's a big call, out. Allison. Yeah. And, and Jay made a similar call, and then we watched it pop off. So, um, you know, <laughs> who knows? Maybe it will. Um, so on this, like the, the, the current note that tied all of these things together, um, is for the moment, how far will this go with SBF being arrested last night, appearing, his making his first court appearance. I don't think that was televised today. So I dove into this. Have you guys, uh, and Jay alluded to this, that he dove into this a little bit. You guys question at all. The timing of this arrest corresponding to the fact that he was supposed to testify in front of Congress. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And, and it only happened when midterm elections were like, when, when everything was complete, right? Yeah. Uh, I think that there's a lot of stuff that was going on. Um, and at the same time, the, the arrest only happened when you started hearing some, you know, prominent Congress persons start talking about the, the entire issue. So I feel like it was sort of like a slow buildup of people just mounting pressure and eventually the conversation got to the political class and then we, we saw action being taken. Some of it, it, it could be different as well. Where it could be that the Bahamian government is ready to move forward <laughs> how the, the uh, SEC or the um, Department of Justice has all the information they need from the Bahamian government. Now they can make their case and they can sort of prosecute him at the same time, so to speak. Interesting. I, that could be, and I read the charges and these are pretty typical when they're going after a CEO because investors who've lost money want to come up in some kind. Someone's got to take this fall. Whether or not they can prove SBF himself did these actions is tricky, but they kind of don't even have to prove that. They just have to say, you're the CEO, you were ahead of this. Did the company do this and you're, and you're taking this hit? I will say this. I saw clips 
of his two-hour interview with the S uh, MSNBC host that he invited to the Bahamas. Did you guys see any of that interview? Yeah, the, the MSNBC guy. I saw most of it, I think. What was I... your takeaway? What would you say, Jared? No, I was going to say, maybe, maybe I missed this one. I saw the Good Morning America one. I think I shared that in our chat. I, I don't know if I saw this maybe one with the, it was the good morning. Guy. Maybe it was the Good Morning America. Jay, am I misspeaking? Is Because the only I, one I, he I did. I thought it was MSNBC as well. It could have been Good Morning. Good Morning America, I think of as like a morning TV show. But I feel like it was a news. Typically, yes. Yeah, typically, yes. I think this is kind of like a separate piece that they decided to do with him sitting in a chair. And it was, you know, it wasn't like he was up on the up on the thing in New York City, because obviously he's not going anywhere near the United States unless it's under uh, being extradited. So um, I, I just think it was it a good morning. America. George Stephanopoulos. Yeah, exactly. Good morning, America. Okay. Allison, I will get yeah. you, I will drop a link here. Just a quick second. But Jay, what was your impression or Jared? What was your impression of that interview? Yeah, go, go for it. Yeah, sure. Um, my impression of the interview, and I posted this on LinkedIn, actually. Uh, Allison, if, uh, Grant will hopefully drop that in soon. Um, and my impression of the interview was that he was so cool. The thing I quoted on uh, LinkedIn was that he looks cooler about losing $20 billion than most of my friends are for having six, uh, six figures in student debt. He just looked as cool as a cat, <laughs> being like, yeah, you know, I kind of like messed up. You know, if you saw him there and he was the general manager of the Gap and there was a ring of people stealing khakis out of the back of the Gap, that was the exact same energy he brought. He didn't really seem like, you know, he's like, yeah, it was all my fault. I should have done better. Um, he seemed really laid back, like almost like he was drugged because any other person who you've seen, like if you've seen the Hulu documentary on Firefest, when you see... Billy McGrath, uh, Billy McFarland, excuse me, when he's under, you know, when he's getting interviewed, he's so anxious, twitching, almost sweating, body tenses. Yeah. SBF was just chilling, man. Like, get him a Corona. I and have a Snoop completely Dogg different view. I have a yeah, so, so do I. I have a little bit of a different view of that. Okay, I, mean, I want to hear that, Jay. Go ahead, Jay. I saw Snoop Dogg. I, I didn't see the, the George Stephanopoulos one. I saw something that was i think done by msnbc and they did like this thing where they brought in a bunch of different speakers and sbf was one of the speakers and they had one of their hosts like interviewing oh, almost the speaker like, panel yeah yeah do you remember that one so so that's okay. what i'm referring to so he was in he sort of in bahamas and he was like in this dimly lit room and it was yellow in the black in the back and it was this this old like palm tree it looked very sad and you can tell, like I could tell, you know, like when you're looking at someone, you can tell like they're shaking their leg, like the leg is going up and down because you see the whole body moving. That's how he looked during that interview. So he he was speaking calmly, but his body language said that he was cold. He was really nervous. Okay. So okay. I, I would I would echo that the Stephanopoulos interview that I dropped the link to from Good Morning America. I I watched body language. I watch intonation and, you know, if my leg is twitching, it means something different than if Jared's leg is twitching. So then you also have to triangulate like the personality and what's going on. Um, what I saw was someone who is supremely smart in a narrow domain, stammering from nerves. And, and he was getting kind of grilled by Stephanopoulos and who kept coming back at saying, did you know this money 
was was being invested like us and so. And he was he was actually pulling several lines of thinking, which was causing him to like, OK, I don't want to get in the legal trouble. I want to say something that is accurate, but not revealing. And and like the big question is, did you know? And he kept coming back to his answer. He could have said a lot of things, but what he said was, I should have known more. He did make an allusion to the terms and conditions. I think it's in the terms and conditions pretty clearly that we can invest this money how we see fit. But but what I saw was someone who was so in over his head, he was reverting back to this childlike nature, which is why everyone makes fun of him gaming. He was so in over his head. And, he, and, and I think Stephanopoulos even said, was this arrogance? And he said, I kind of think it was like I, I wasn't even looking. He said, it wasn't that, I was like moving money around or manipulating. I wasn't even looking. So they said mismanagement. I would say it's not man. He said this. Yeah. I would say it's not management. But the- and I and I think socially he's borderline autistic. So to answer Tristan's question, in my small oh. estimate, I would I would go contraire and say I think he was genuinely autistically like I don't know what to say, but I could be going to jail. Yeah. And then for Stephanopoulos to say, are you worried about jail? For them to him respond and go, I thought it was very level-headed, but also still showing some nervousness about, I'm, I'm nervous about a lot of things. And he didn't even, uh, it was so well-planned. So Tristan, I do think it was practiced, but I also think it was genuine, um, if that makes any sense. That's just my two cents, kind of trying to read people. But yeah. well, I we have find respect out- for his plight. Go ahead, Jay. I was going to say, we also found out that he was lying about some of that stuff, right? Um, I don't know. What was the follow-up? Yeah, so the follow-up was like, he was saying, basically what you said, like, he wasn't paying attention to what was happening, so he didn't know when money was being moved to where. Okay. But that's not true, because we know that he was specifically the person who was asking for funds to be moved, like, in particular, the 8 or $10 billion that was moved from FTX to Alameda. They so they had that funds in an Alameda account. And they were either it's one of the two, either they were about to start getting interest or they were about to have to pay a fee because of where the funds were. And SBF made the call to move the accounts, to move the funds to another account. So he was aware that there was FTX funds in Alameda's possession. And he was also the one moving the funds around, at least directing, telling them where to where to put it. So interesting. I, and some of that could have, you know, to do with um why he was eventually charged because he basically like eventually arrested. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Jarrett, tell us about your reel here. Yeah, and everyone, um, go ahead and click on that reel if you're on LinkedIn, and if you're on another platform, go ahead and find us on LinkedIn at Not Crypto Bros. We are live there too. Um, this was a really funny. Instagram reel that I saw earlier and it made me giggle. Uh, there's obviously all these SBF memes, but this one made me belly chuckle. So I wanted to share, but it's basically him on the phone and he's doing just like, you know, it's it has, it's a face swap with SBF with some guy who has curly hair as well. So it looks really good. Oh, it's not real. Okay. It's not I'm real. No, it's it, not real. It's somebody, it's somebody a made it. Yeah, it's somebody made it sitting on their couch, but it's like, did you know there's money? He's like, absolutely not. Well, well, yeah, but no, I didn't know. But yeah, well, and then they just like, he just keeps going back and forth between yes and no to every question that he's answered. Uh, it's very sure. funny. 
Um, and I, I want to shout out what uh, uh, Tristan says, which is you can't lose 20 billion and not have a PR team. I completely agree. Um, I'm currently working with Mercy Corps and I'm asked them to hopefully hop on different Twitter spaces and podcasts, waving their flag as far as what we're trying to do with crypto philanthropy. And I have to go through PR training. So the fact that I have to do it and I'm, you know, how did he not have better PR training is the question. And I think that that just points to really the overall level of maturity and branding that that organization was doing, um, which was kind of crazy. How do I click uh, on Jared, this can you drop it into the private chat and I'll make sure Allison gets that. Could you drop that to me in the private chat? That Instagram yeah. Link? Yeah. Actually, Allison, I'm going to go ahead. It's just easier. I'm going to go ahead and just, um, yeah, I'll, I'll send it to you on, uh, on, on LinkedIn, Allison, if you'd like. Very good. Yeah, like she might be on one of our shows and not in yours necessarily. Exactly, exactly, cool. yeah. Very good. Yeah, Allison, we'll get that to you, no problem. So so this market's popping off. It's not reflecting any S, uh, SBF fallout. In fact, if anything, he gets arrested and we think maybe this thing will progress. Um, meanwhile, we're hearing that stuff's getting easier with CPI and then we're hoping, how does this reflect on... Because of the coupling that I say is really coming to, to DeFi and, and TradFi together, if Powell announces in the next interest rate hikes 0.5 instead of 0.75, do you guys see that as a sign or predict that that will also have a bump in the market? Or is that not a big enough slow down from Powell? Uh, I, I, I'm assuming that he's going to, I think on Thursday, announce a 0.5 interest rate hike. That's what people have been saying. And that will be enough for the markets to jump up maybe to 18, 19. Um, I think that they're going to push through the end of the year. But the second we get into Q1, I think people are going to start to sell. And they're going to sell all the way up into um, tax season. And then after it will bump. And that's why I've, I've been saying June, but really May. Um, basically, I'm putting a lot of money on the sideline currently because between February and March, I'm going to really start to deploy. And I'm a person that mm. hates holding cash. But in February and March, I'm going to start getting aggressive. Um, I just think things are going to go down. And one of the things I actually want to, if we can come full circle, you guys yeah. were talking about how the you never thought about the CPI affecting crypto. Well, the argument I have is the CPI has always affected crypto because mm. the CPI affects the stock market. And the stock market yeah. still affects crypto. So it has, and it will. Um, CPI is always been something so. that Raul, Raul Powell's been talking about since 2019 when it comes to crypto. Um, and that's just because, as Jay said, that he was thinking more, you know, Jay's like, I normally think about the CPI when I think about TradFi. But the reality of it is the stock market is still super tied to crypto. Yeah. Um, and the stock market's way overheated. All these mm -hmm. companies right now are capitulating. Many of the big tech firms are all going under. Carvana which 12 months ago was supposed to be the biggest thing. Wall Street Journal is now the worst company of 2022. It's down yeah. 98%. It's stopping yeah. down 98%. <clears throat> Coinbase, so, yeah. Coin, Coinbase is selling at $40 a, a share right now, and, then, and it IPO'd at $350, not even 14 months ago, whatever it was. Mm -hmm, um, mm -hmm. So things are really cooling down right now. What'd you say, Jay? How about Robinhood? They, I mean, they, does it even exist? Yeah, that's Robert a great question. They, they got downgraded, right? They recently, they got downgraded today. Delisted? Of FTX. Not, not, not delisted, but downgraded. So not a buy anymore. Basically, the, the Citigroup analysts are saying, don't buy Robinhood. Uh, just be neutral on it until we, they can figure out what's going on. 
And so yeah. when we talk about putting cash on the side, uh, Jarrett, um, so like, let's say your dollar cost averaging every month, let's just call it a unit of 100 units of X, Y, and Z, however much money you, you, you allocate. Do you usually go all in with your stacking and now you're just, let's just say you're going to take 50% and just put that in cash and the, but still dollar cost average 50%, like kind of what's your strategy? I haven't bought new crypto since May. I've been what? stacking cash. Yes. I've been stacking cash. Wow. Bitcoin was at 45, 50 in May. It's at 17. Patience is going to pay off here. Yeah, um, I'm, I'm, it's kind of a bold move because I know that dollar cost averaging over a longer period of time is the way to do it. But I'm in the last bull, in the last uh, bear market, I was not strategic at all and i just sat on the sidelines but now i'm basically deploying cash no matter what between february and march of this next year um i've told myself that whatever price it is um i'm going to be doing it and do you want to talk about uh, tristan's uh, comment here grant this is big so tristan i, I appreciate another real estate bro in Sheesh. the house or, or, or not bro in the house i really <laughs> dig that um i'd like to know how this compares to other subprime crashes fyi Everyone has got to read the book Money. If you've taken Jared's advice and you've read the Fiat Standard and the Bitcoin Standard, you got to take this guy's advice and go read the book Money, uh, a true story of a made-up thing. It's awesome the way he breaks down the 2008 crisis. And it was not subprime. It was subprime. But there was an entire strata of the market called the shadow banking that I just found out about. And you guys might be very familiar with it, but the nuance of the bank run that happened in private companies, because bank runs happen on banks and banks are regulated, protected by FDIC, very interesting stuff. That aside, talk to me about the delinquency rates of 5.8%. Jarrett, um, maybe we'll save this for our follow-up on real estate, because I, I know that we could go neck and neck on that. And I like talking about it with you, but I just found out of a new strategy where this is making me excited. I'm getting ready for this. What's your thoughts there? Exciting. It's exciting. No, I, um, I think that it's going to be exciting, Grant, for me to tap into you in 2026 after the 2025 bull run and I'm taking money off the table and I come to you and I say, Grant, let's do this. Uh, and I'm going to get into real estate. Yeah, it's a portfolio, um, sure. Yeah, I would like something in real estate, but I want it away from oceans. I have like very certain parameters about how I yeah. want to buy real estate. <laughs> yeah, um, the markets but, you're in. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, but I'm excited to tap in, in, into that with you because I, I think you are uh, really great with that stuff. And the delinquency rate of 5.8 is crazy because I think back to the movie, um, The Big, Big Short, Short, and I think also to the documentary that came out in 2010 or 2011 called The Inside Job, um, which is one of the best documentaries around the 2008 crisis. It's on YouTube if you're just looking for it or DM me after and I can send you the link. Uh, and basically... Delinquency rates at that in, in 2008 had to hit, I believe, please correct me if I'm wrong, 8%. I just pulled it up. I just pulled it up. It blows that out of the water. Serious delinquency rates. I'll read this to you right now. I got yeah, it yeah. Up. And this is from the federalreserve.gov. Mm -hmm. Serious delinquency rates for both types of subprime mortgages are around 5% in mid 2005. In mid 2005. By July 2008, they had rose to over 28% for purchase mortgages and 18% for refis. So, Tristan, thank you for this data point. And now we kind of have a little bit of a range we could be paying attention to. 
Do I expect it to get to 28% and 18%? No way. I think this is going to start sweetening the pot. And if Jarrett, if your tweet bears out at all, uh, I do agree that there should be a turnaround like 2024. And, and I think that we might hit some, some numbers that will frighten people. We're going to see some headlines on these subprime numbers and the trap fine numbers and the DeFi numbers. But anyone paying attention, the mantra is buy low, sell high. You buy when there's blood in the streets. You guys know the rest of that quote? Buy when I've there's heard blood it, but I can't remember it now. No. Especially when it's your blood. Yeah. Well, Rockefeller and, and that, was a, a dark man, so that's good for him. <laughs> and that plays into your doubling down because you're you're refining your double down system, right? Your your dollar cost average system. Uh Jay, real quick to answer your question, I also brought up Robinhood. Robinhood peaked at $55 at its all-time high just a few years ago. Its bottom was seven dollars and twenty cents. Right now it's at nine dollars and thirty-six cents. Is that a buy? No, I don't think so. I don't think it's coming back, boys. Not that. Maybe Coinbase. (laughs) The only way that you buy something that's fallen that low is if you're paying attention to the technicals and you see when it breaks upwards. Yeah. Okay. Now it's back in play. Yeah, I I agree. And and I'm watching maybe not the technicals of Coinbase because Robinhood, I believe, is trading on technicals because if you look how affected Robinhood is, with the Wall Street bets crowd who thinks that they're technical traders and they watch all the volumes and they pop off on that. I think Coinbase is traded a little bit differently. I think it's traded on a lot of emotion and a lot of hype, um, mm-hmm. a lot of rumor and a lot of news. Like what's A16Z going to do? Are they still going to stand by their, their boys at Coinbase? You know, um, uh, So I, I think it, there's a different set of criteria to watch Coinbase. I still think there's a lot of love for it, a lot of hope for it as a TradFi signal for DeFi. So I think we're going to be paying attention to that uh, for sure. That's nuts, man. Robinhood, I can't believe this chart, dude. We so, talked about Robinhood. Sorry, sorry to cut you off. No, we, go ahead. We, we've talked about Robinhood on this, and we've said, and I'd love to go back, and when we have our intern, the intern will go back and pull this audio clip, but yeah. I'm pretty sure we all felt that Robinhood was going to be okay, and they were going to be able to, weather the storm um, Ooh, did we call that no. oh, or did we not say that i don't know so so i remember someone in the chat said probably robin hood is going to be next and i remember agreeing with them oh. robin hood is the next to crash i do remember you saying that in that context i think jared's throwing back to a to hearkening back further um I, I don't know jared are you talking about when we were talking about whether or not the DeFi crash was going to pull down Robin Hood, like like Jay saying, I think we were talking about Robin Hood. We were talking about oh, what's the other one we were looking at? There was another Robin Hood asking. I can't remember exactly what it was at this point. Maybe it was even Coinbase at that point. But mm. it doesn't. It doesn't. If 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 Jay says he was against it, I believe him saying that. Yeah, uh, because I was probably <laughs> overly optimistic, and he was probably a realistic cynic. So that's yeah. probably how that <laughs> happened. <laughs> So, I mean, so like today, there's a rumor that came up that uh, I wanted to bring up because it caused me to scramble and rebuild my portfolio put on my ledger. So for those who might not recall, I, I told you, gentlemen, um, Austin, my good buddy, and he's messaging me right now. We got to do another show, Austin and I. He messaged me and said, KuCoin's having liquidity issues. And I think I mentioned on Saturday yeah. 
it's going to take them two or three months to provide their financials. And I can't believe they're not getting stones thrown at them the way all these other exchanges have, um, meaning they're still holding up and there doesn't seem to be any slowing in KuCoin. Well, I tried to do the safe thing, liquidate my entire portfolio to Cardano. And I saw yesterday Charles Hoskins make some commentary about Ripple. Because a lot of you, we called the ISO 20022 cryptos, or I did, and I'm modifying my portfolio to be stacked on blue chips, Bitcoin, Ethereum, and Matic. And then I'm rounding out away from my gaming cryptos and more into the ISO 20022 cryptos, which is basically what I think are the rails on which CBDCs in America and maybe beyond will really need to run on. And so I liquidated my position. I was much to my chagrin. I tried to rebuild it today. So my question, let me start my question with this. Have you guys tried to trade on your ledger? Do you have cold storage, Jay? I'm, I assume Jared does. I know Jared does. No, I don't. No. Okay. Grant, I, I haven't tried. I know what you're talking about with Ledger Live, doing a swap or something or just yeah. stuff around. I, I haven't. And I think <laughs> what I'm going to challenge everyone on here to do if you're listening and you own a little crypto is think about the one that you believe in most. And this probably is because you understand it the most. And no matter what happens, um, hold on to it. Just, just hold on it. to it. Don't, don't trade. I see why Grant's trading and I think it's uber strategic and I really like it. Um, but unless it's something that's like paradigm shifting, like the IS, ISO 20022, just hold on to it. My longest hold right now is VeChain and Engine. And it feels good. Uh, it went through dark times and just keep leaning into the things that you understand. And if yeah. you want to reach out, you can reach out to any of us and ask us more. You can reach out to me. I will talk your ear off about what you're doing. Yeah. Um, obviously, there are certain coins maybe over other coins that you're going to want to hold. But if you understand it and you think it has a real world use case and the team is good, and this is really key. I was looking at this the other day. If you're open up coin market cap, and even in this dark doldrum of a time for crypto prices, if the overall market cap is still over a billion dollars, do not, do not sleep on it. Like it's a billion dollar market cap, right? Like even in this tough time. So yeah. anyways, um, you raised yeah. a great point and I need to clarify. When I mentioned trading, I should actually use the word swapping to re to balance the portfolio. I do not trade. I don't trade. I move money as Cardano because it's cheap or Matic because it's cheap. And then I'll swap it when it's where it needs to be. Gotcha. Just, just so I, I do want to, I, I agree with Jared 100%. I am a buy and hold and leverage guy. What do they say? Buy, borrow, and die. Isn't that like, <laughs> you know, but I, I am in it for the long haul and I am not trading. And me modifying my portfolio to ISO 20022, I am not getting rid of my gaming tokens. I still have my engine. I still have my sand. I still have my Decentraland. Nice. I have all of that. So when I said swap out, I needed to clarify, meaning when I do my allocation every two weeks, I do, I do a dollar cost average. I'm just buying more of the new stuff, but I'm not selling any of the old stuff. So I, I'm like, I've got one Blocktopia that I'm still holding. I mean, that's no Shido, but I'm still hopeful for that and Hero. If I can ask Jay, Jay, if you had a million dollars, what would you be buying? You can only buy three coins and hold them for 
five years, what, what would they be? Oh, it's got to be crypto. Okay. Uh, oh, it doesn't have to be crypto. Actually, no, it's just, it doesn't have to be crypto. I would prefer to be had crypto. a million bucks, I'd probably buy like a luxury vehicle or something because then I can, you know, I'd buy like a million dollar Lamborghini because the resale value on it is going to be pretty high, especially if it's something that's real and I can sell it really well. Um, Do you say this shit to me, Edgy, dude? I gotta know. What? I, I didn't. Like, I mean, do you have an inside scoop on luxury? Jared's gone. You're in a the floor. Bury my corpse. I am freaking dead. I, like, I mean, you got to say this for the clicks. Um, this is, this is going to be I, the title. He's only saying this for the clicks. Jay has some other Instagram that's called Jay's Lambo Collection. <laughs> yeah. And he has toy Lambos, but they look like real Lambos. Wait, so yeah. I mean, do you have an inside track on luxury vehicles? Like you, like you pay attention to that market? Not a lot, but I, a, a little bit, a little. Bit. Like I, I think it's funny. So Allison, <laughs> who's been in this less than six months, <laughs> and like Allison has a new Rolls Royce Phantom. I feel like Jay would would Jay would blow all the money on the Lambo and forget that he had to put gas in it. So he's just sitting there like, yeah, just let it sit. Yeah, I, oh and, yeah. In fact, I'd say like spend the money on it and then just rent it out just like buy a half million well, dollar vehicle and, and rent it out on like yeah on like toro or one of these services of that, so yeah. okay but but you wouldn't buy any if, if, if i had to buy crypto it's just going to be the blue chip it's going to be bitcoin ethereum and okay i want to know what other obscure markets you're keyed in on because yeah, like me there's too. gotta I feel be like, Jay's like we're gonna go get all the french poodles in toronto corner the market and sell them on instagram I got a guy. I got a guy. I know a guy named Stevie. Don't look at him. He sells. Uh, so. Allison's disappointed. She's over in the UK. She's throwing down some crumpets, being like, "What the hell with this guy?" <laughs> Allison's staying up. It's midnight. Over. She's trying to get yeah. some alpha. And Jay's talking about Lambos. I'll tell you, Allison. So, so I'll tell you right now. If I had a million, I would carve out my my actual my portfolio wouldn't trade for seven guys and all. <laughs> What is this? Sorry, <laughs> <laughs> you listen to this on the podcast. All I can say is stop listening to the podcast and go find us on YouTube. You have to go see the find video. the video because Tristan says Jay oh. is in the rare snack game for sure. Jerry, Jay's like, I just bought an entire zebra to be exported to North Korea, and it's like, no, no, exactly. Like, hey, if I had a million, I'd be like, like, like get like metalist, not not like metalist, but you know, like um. Like those those ships that go out and find shipwrecks, like Pirates of the Caribbean, you go out, they dig up the the gold bullions and stuff like that. Why do that? Well, you know what? Because it's fun as hell. Who knows if you're ROI? And literally, did I? I was that? Were we on the show when I talked about my coin? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I mean, like I do have this fantasy, but so <laughs> are like in your heart, these I are investments. I feel like Jay is in the chinchilla game, you know? <laughs> you I feel like he sells, chinchilla to, he sells chinchillas to DJ Khaled. You know what I mean? That, that is hilarious. Get into some cool stuff, you know? Um, okay, Jay. So, so let's just recap. Let me recap so I can understand what's just happened. I asked you on a show called Not Crypto Bros, what are the three coins you would invest in if I gave you a million dollars? To which you said, does it have to be crypto? And then I said, no. 
let's dive into stocks. Let's live a little. You know, maybe get let's you a little van that you can rent out. And then you say, I want a million dollar Lamborghini. <clears throat> okay. Yeah. I just, I want to understand where we are. Here we go. Just as says, he will tokenize the gold doubloons after he finds them. Exactly. You got it. Fractional, he fractional tokenization. And yeah, we'll all buy, uh, what I guess, what do they call those doubloons? And there's like pieces of eight and pieces of four. And that's exactly, right. that's right. exactly what you would do. Well, okay. So back to you then, Jer. We're making fun of, of Jay's dream of being yeah, a gold digger. Exactly. You can't make fun of this guy's dream of being, oh, I'm sorry, not gold digger. Did I say gold digger? You it's said, I mean, gold digger. I mean, that's the quickest way to get rinsed. So Jay's yeah. not wrong either. Yeah. <laughs> so what would you, what are, what are the top three? No questions I mean, asked. If, if I had a million dollars, all right, and, and I would get land in Vermont, get land in Medellin, have a tiny house in both, and I could probably do that for under 250 easy, yes. full plumbing, everything done, two-bedroom, really nice. All I need, <laughs> all I need. And then I would take the rest of the 750, wait for Bitcoin to hit 10, buy 75 Bitcoins. You wouldn't buy it put, on the way down. You would just hold yeah, just I'm just waiting. I, I feel like I feel I feel I have my conviction, and I'm either gonna live, you know, I'm gonna live to rue this or not. Either way, in February or March, I'm gonna deploy the capital. Yeah, that's but integrated. That's integrated. I would, yeah, and then I would take that and divide it up into different cold storages. Put one in a bank, put one buried in my house. Probably get a nice thing, and then I would take all the seed phrases and bury them around the world, and uh, take the GPS coordinates and put those in a bank or something. I don't know. I'd make it fun. It'd be a good time. Interesting. Interesting. But I wouldn't spend on anything. I, I kind of like where I am. I think things are good, you know? I don't know. There's just so many stories out there of people getting a million dollars and then they just blow it on something that is not mm -hmm. going to give them anything back. I mean, look, my conviction is that Bitcoin is going to a million by 2030. So yeah. in the world that that happens, even if you just have one or two Bitcoin, yeah. then from that point on, if Bitcoin continues mm -hmm. to accrue, you can take out 50 to 100,000 US dollars every year for the rest of your life as long as the Bitcoin continues to accrue, if that's your working hypothesis. And that is all assumption. That's all theoretical. We're yeah. going to see how it plays out. But seeing as how it's gone from like nine cents to $69,000 in 11 years, I, I feel really good about it, you know? Um, I meant to ask you, uh, because we got, Jay wasn't on the show on Saturday, folks. Jay was sick, and I'm so glad that he yeah. sounds better. I'm glad yeah, you're see, here. Yeah, see, I grant also. Almost also, didn't make also. it today. Was he even sick, though? Jay, were you I, even I, sick? Were I, you I, out buying chinchillas? Well, still sick today. Almost. He was still on the road. Still on his face. He has that, you know what he has? He has that SBF energy, that good morning America <laughs> SBF energy. Oh. Still sick. <laughs> That's hilarious. So... So we, we talked at length about real estate versus Bitcoin, which is a conversation that left to our own devices, me and Jarrett will have until the day that we're old farts and die and one of us is proven right or wrong or equal. Um, my question comes up uh, a little bit about some of these external uh, signaling that we're all looking for maybe signs of a slight bullishness or a pop in the market. As it comes to a maxi who takes it on a strong degree of conviction, a good amount of logic, but a good amount of faith that Bitcoin's going to hit a million by 2030 or whatever it is. What are signals you watch for? Because I, I correct me if I'm wrong, adoption is the number one thing that has to occur for your hypothesis to be true um, to a degree, whether it's institutional adoption or mass adoption. Adoption, I think, is the trigger. With, as a maxi, what signals are you watching? Same as anything else or different, but are there any weird, unique signals you watch for to indicate adoption? 
Yeah, one of the signals is more of a local signal for me. I have been going into the local bank that I bank with. Um, and one of the reasons why I bank with them is that they have zero uh, global ATM fees. So when I'm in Colombia and I take out, it's $5. They, they cover that. I get that back at the end of the month. What's um, the bank? Uh, it's called Salem Five. It's a local bank to Massachusetts. It's super tiny. Maybe there's 20 branches. But right. the way that they compete amongst the Chases and the Bank of Americas is they offer little perks like that. So that's one of the things. And kind of grown up knowing about this bank and I know everyone in the bank and it doesn't feel corporate. It's run, you know, pretty locally. So one of the things I'm waiting for is every time I go into the branch manager, I say, hey, you want to talk about crypto? You guys want me yet? When do you want me to talk to the board? I'm ready. I'm down to talk about cold storage. I'm down to talk about how you guys need to do this. I'm down to talk about how I think you're a dinosaur. I'm down to talk about <laughs> how I think if you wait until FDIC comes around to say it's okay to play in the sand, you're going to be way behind. Um, yeah. So one of the things I'm looking for is for the government, uh, for me, it's mass adoption, it's institutional adoption, but for me, bigger than both of those is government approval. Uh, and government's basically saying banks can hold it and you can buy it when you're at your bank. Um, you know, Right now, when you go to your bank, if you go to the bank of the United States or probably anywhere, they're going to try to sell you some kind of a financial product, right? They want, you get, they want to get you into a retirement fund um, or they want to be able to talk to you about a mortgage. That's really what banks are for in the United States, right? On some level. And I think in the future, one of the things, the biggest things I'm looking for is when banks start to say, hey, you know what? Do you want to diversify with a little bit of crypto? And then the first one they're going to say is Bitcoin. Um, I think this is huge. One of the other things I think, that's, so that's a signal when banks, local banks, or basically the FDIC starts to see crypto, something that they can wrap their mind around how that's all going to work. Um, one of the other things, because it kind of throws off their fractional reserve model, uh, one of the other things I think is when oil which is our biggest commodity, probably, uh, when that starts to get traded, when the OPEC countries are like, eh, we can use dollars and Bitcoin. Whenever that happens, we're talking about trillions of dollars annually. So that would be huge. Because right now they're all using dollars and they've been doing that since the 70s. Right. If you would ever change that, that to me is huge. Um, and then, yeah, if BlackRock one day wakes up and says that they want to just own 5% of their portfolio, which is like, I don't know how many trillion dollars in Bitcoin, then overnight, the price could double. I mean, right now, I'm talking about Bitcoin. Bitcoin, and I'm going to open up my app right here and look at the market cap. Bitcoin got up to like 1.2 to $1.5 billion, I think. Uh, excuse me, trillion. $340 billion. That's like nothing relative, you know, to, to other big commodities. So I think it has a long way to go. I think there's like something like $400 trillion in global real estate. Yeah. So, 400, less than 400 billion, it, it's a percent of a percent of a percent of a percent. It's nothing, yeah. right? And yeah. so I do think as real estate even starts to get transacted on this on a big level, as people start to have more faith in it and there start to be more advantages as to why they should use Bitcoin, then I think it just starts to kind of blow up. And like, as you see that, and Jay, just jump in anytime because I'm super curious about this. So if you have other questions, I don't mean to stomp on you. Please interrupt me. And Tristan, for those watching, Tristan's got great comments. And for the listeners, uh, Tristan says there's a private equity fund out of Austin, Texas, that's trying to be the first stepping stones to this, which is awesome. He says hybrid investing options between fractional commercial real estate investment and crypto. They're coming. Very curious about this myself as someone who has one foot in both worlds. Um, Jared, you're, you're a currency has three functions, storehouse of value, medium of exchange, and a standard of measure. Standard of measure is kind of irrelevant, but like whether it's purchasing power parity or whether it's how wealthy am I and the mind of someone, they measure their wealth based on standard of measure. Uh, during peak crypto fervor, crypto boys in their Lambos do use crypt, uh, Bitcoin 
as a standard of measure, look how much money I have, look at my buying power. But when it's down, they don't say anything. They're crickets about it. Um, a medium of exchange is obvious. There's a medium of exchange. Storehouse of value is tricky because the way Bitcoin moves, and mind you, I admit that crypto is like a three-dimensional beast in a two-dimensional fiat world, right? Like it has multiple, sometimes it's software, sometimes it's currency, sometimes it's storehouse of value. The storehouse of value um, of Bitcoin is, is defunct because of the volatility. Now it's predictable volatility if we take into account the halving, but this 85% swing is still a massive loss of value to the point Michael Saylor's kind of out of the mix, even though we probably agree that in our lifetime, he will be proven accurate and that the fund will, will bear out. But right now he's sitting on huge losses. Um, so as a storehouse of value, it's not strong. Does that fact, I mean, it's predictable, we, we hope, that the swing is going to swing back up, just like it swung to 69,000. Does that make it just blatantly a speculation, a growth speculation for you, or it's just more certain than speculation in you? So I think it comes down to what you're talking about is holding value over time. That's yes. what you're talking about. Yes. And from day to day, it's really tough because if I buy Bitcoin today, it's at 17,000 and I try to then buy tomatoes tomorrow and it's at 15,000. Well, I've lost, I don't know, 12 to 15% of my purchasing power. Yeah. But when you look at Bitcoin over real time, which is over hours, uh, excuse me, over years, mm. it's good, right? Um, it's up over like a million percent since it began. So, mm. I mean, mm. I think it really comes down to the fact that we live in a world that is judged by quarterly gains and losses, yet wealth is judged by decades. Interesting. And so as long as you can hold it for a long time, which I realize is a privilege, I yeah. realize it's a privileged conversation to say, I'm going to buy a Bitcoin at, you know, $4,000 to have $4,000 to put in a Bitcoin. is a yeah. massive amount of money with $4,000. I could probably live in most countries that are recognized by the UN in the world for a year. Right. Mm -hmm. So you're talking about a massive amount of economic energy to put into something that, yeah, is day to day volatile. But if you look yeah. at it over the years, it's really not that volatile. And I think as a store of energy, it's good. It's never really going to be a currency because of the volatility. Uh, and it's not something that you want to sell due to the tax implications. But in a world okay. where that's on the Bitcoin standard, where every time I send it to you or you send it to me, we don't incur a tax, then it becomes something that's a little bit better. You know, mm. um, but over a long period of time, there's nothing better that we've seen in human history, at least, um, to hold value. So it's really, yeah, it's it's less of a, and this is something that was uh, explained to me really, really well on one of my podcasts, I believe. Oh, I'll have to I'll have to dig it up. But if you're interested for more information on like why Bitcoin is great over over a long period of time, you know, it really is the world's best savings. That's all it is. It's just a savings account. Mm. If you want to save money for the future. <laughs> You don't want to have to learn how to how the real estate game works. You mm -hmm. don't want to have to figure out how to do TA for stocks. You mm -hmm. don't want to have to get into anything else. Just buy Bitcoin. That's kind yeah. of where it is. It's just the best savings account that we've ever had in human history. That, that's kind of where it is. And I was looking it up because I wanted to share this. Um, Tristan, check out uh, Milo Credit at Milo Credit on Twitter. Um, look into Milo. Uh, there, it looks like they're. They're, they're out of Miami, right? 
Yeah, they're out of Florida. So their website is milo.io, M-I-L-O.io. Yeah. Um, and they do loans already for homes where you can use Bitcoin uh, and crypto as collateral. So they're something that I definitely want to tap into once that whole thing is more refined. Because obviously, as we're talking about the volatility, if the collateral that you're putting up for a loan depreciates by 85%, well, then the payments you're going to have to make are going to probably go up 8 to 9%, mm-hmm. 8 to 9x. Right, to be able to make sure we're covering yeah. the same. So mm-hmm. these things aren't perfect now, but yeah, you're totally right. As far as what, what, what you're saying for currency, no, it's not there. But over a long period of time, sure, when we zoom out, it looks great. When you zoom out, Bitcoin looks uh, looks like this. You know, it's going bottom left to upper right. But yeah. when, once again, we live in a world of quarterly profits where that's wow. how you know financial wisdom is judged. But financial wealth, that's Warren Buffett, right? Uh, mm-hmm. That's Kathy Woods. Kathy Woods has been talking about Bitcoin since 2015. She's been the loudest yeah. probably financial uh, from TradFi in the room. And she's, yeah. in 2015, it was under $1,000. And now yeah. we're arguing that it's at a $17,000 and it's a fail. So I just think you have to zoom out. <laughs> uh, Jay, real quick. What has the highest storehouse of value of any investment you've looked at other than yourself? <laughs> yourself is number one, of course. Yes. Um, Store of value, what's still going to have the most value at the end of it? Mm. Maybe uh, I, I, the way I, I think of it, what has the highest value with the lowest input from you, like maintenance input? Okay. And I, I'm, Grant, I, I might be agreeing with you on this one that depending on where you are, probably it's real estate, mm. you know, because you can get like rental income you know, for the 10 years, you know, mm-hmm. that, that's like, like owning a stock and getting dividends, but then at the end of it, you can still sell it. And, yeah. you, um, but like I said, depending on where you are, you can mm-hmm. get tons and tons of money for, for something that you buy really cheap. Interesting. Okay. So really curious. Quick shout outs, everybody. What do you got? Uh, uh, I'll go first I'll or go JJ, first. you want to go? I was just going to say, I mean, m- m- let me do my mind. It's kind of somber. I'm going to say shout out to, I'm trying to remember her name now, uh, Ellison. What was her first name? Uh, Allison. SBF. No, oh, like, SBF's girl. Ka- Ka- Caroline Ellison. Caroline Ellison. Like, okay. shout out to her just because, like, I think things are about to start getting really rough for her. And one of the things that was in the news is her parents were saying they are basically going to end up going broke because of all the legal fees and all the stuff that she's into, they ended up hiring some really high-profile lawyers to, to act on her behalf. But just, you know, sending some positive energy their way. This is going to be yeah. a rough next couple of years for them. Yeah, yeah. I, uh, my shout-out today is to the intrepid souls who risk these things. I don't believe someone like an SBF sets out with malicious intent. If anything, there's negligence. If anything, there's getting in over your head and then making just a handful of poor decisions with high stakes. But it takes bold people to break new ground. And uh, it doesn't always have to go bad. This is the bad side of some of that. But there's a lot of people out there breaking new ground who are trying to tell a moral line and an ethical line and try to figure out what the right path is and they go wide and then they go narrow and the riskiness and the fret and the frightfulness of being an investor is kind of like, you know, taking on a, a new entrepreneurial venture. 
So my shout out is to the intrepid people out there who aren't just trolls or shit posters on Twitter. The people out there who really are going, I'm going to try to do something here. And sometimes they stick their neck out too far and get stung. But there's for every one person like that, there are hundreds of unsung heroes. So that's who I'm shouting out to. What do you got, Jared? And then wrap us up. Yeah, I want to shout out you guys for being open to move the, uh, <clears throat> the recording today. Soccer is a huge part of my life. And I lived in Argentina and I've had multiple messy jerseys in my life and I've given them away. Um, something I was told when I was a kid was whenever you travel, make sure you come back with less than what you left with. Um, you should always be giving things away. Um, so Messi is for me like a god. And so I was really glad that I didn't have to choose between not crypto bros and Messi. Uh, so nah. thank you for removing this. And um, if you're following this, be for sure to follow us on LinkedIn, Twitter, and YouTube at not crypto bros. And we will see everyone back here on Saturday at 6.30 a.m. Eastern, right bright and early. Get up, get your coffee, uh, tune in, and um, we'll see you there. Thanks for stopping by, everybody. Have a great one. Peace, y'all.